Namaste. As part of this series on Shurbindo's writings, we take up today collected works of Shurbindo, Volume Three, and touch upon four. Actually, there are two volumes, but they are combined under CWSA and brought out together in the form of a single book. Earlier in the SBCL edition, there were two different books, but now it's a combined book. So, it is uh, one of the lesser known volumes uh, or works of Shurbindo, but once one begins to read it, it is one of the most fascinating. At least when I had started reading, I remember the very first play that I had read was Vazirs of Basura, and I was splitting into laughter, not realizing that this is <laughs> Shurbindo who has. <laughs> written it and of course Perseus the Deliverer is rather well known but just Vazirs of Basura and some of these plays have been staged here so the difference between play and prose as we all know is that play um, uh, story is story is a kind of fiction which we are writing but in a play it can be staged stories cannot be staged unless you change it into a play format which is not easy but plays are meant drama and plays meant for staging so there will be a mood, there will be a costume and all that. But Shurbindo basically focuses on the dialogues, which is the mainstay of any drama and play. There is a plot, there is a shifting of scenes from one place to another. The stage has to be accordingly set. And um, it reveals an aspect and a side of Shurbindo, which we normally do not know because we tend to portray him as a philosopher sitting out there in the clouds or a yogi of yogis which all this he is beyond into beyond the cloud 10 if there is one but here we see Shurbindo dealing with human characters one of the beauty of plays is that it can bring out the uh, dramatis persona the different sides of human nature different shades of human nature the conflicts they undergo and how people move. So in a play you will have different different characters, each representing an aspect of human personality which is mostly archetypes. So for instance if you see any play so there are different characters and each character is representing an aspect. And the beauty of the play is that uh, how best we can portray each character to its perfection. So it requires a many-sided understanding of human nature not just like you know saintliness knows only saintliness all are good and everything is fine it's not like that it's about different shades of human nature and even in those shades instead of just categorizing them to see through them their aspects and how they grow they evolve so in Shurvindu's play the common theme is evolution through the power of love so though they are all plays which are categorized in the general category of romance and drama Dramatic romance of different kind. And there is a very beautiful kind of romance. Beauty of Shurabindo is, as he said, for a yogi, there is nothing which is impossible. So, they, and these plays are not written early. I mean, some of them are written, most of them are written between 1905 to 1915. Some of them even later. But only one play, Perseus the Deliverer, was published during Shurabindo's lifetime. Vazir of Basura was a play that Shurbindo liked, but it was uh, lost uh, during the uh, raid and the British police has confiscated it. And Shurbindo at one point said that, you know, I wish he had it because he wanted to work upon it and complete it. It is a completed play as such, but he wanted to make it still more perfect. But uh, 1959, when everything, you know, was in the position of the then Indian government, the government of Bengal found the play and sent it to... Uh, you know, Shurbindo Ashram and then it was published serially. So except for Perseus the Deliverer, Shurbindo did not really have a time to look into it. And uh, Perseus the Deliverer, he worked because he wanted it to be as uh, perfect as possible. Some other plays also he has worked upon. Um, in one of the 1938 or 39 conversations, he passingly remarks, because many of his stories and plays are left incomplete fragments, and he passingly remarks that, you know, because of the work that he had to do, the storyteller in him could never come out. It was sort of buried inside. <laughs> but here we see that aspect of Shirobindo. He picked most of these plays 
all of them are based on some uh, incidents in mythology. It's, they're based, rooted in mythology, some 7th century, 11th century AD. One of them is just after Mahabharata. And uh, he picks up those characters and gives them a completely new sense. And when we go through the play, we see that how the characters evolve and how the uh, situation evolves and how the very setting evolves. It's Most of these plays are about evolution of human nature going through conflict in which the power that is working is the power of love. So this is how we see and uh, uh, let me pick up uh, one by one some of them. So the very first play as I said is Vazirs of Basora running into about 185 pages and the setting is Basora and Baghdad. So it's in the what today is regarded as Arabia in that place, Arabia and probably a little bit Iraq. So the storyline goes that there is this um, king who is uh, the king of Basora who has wazirs and these wazirs are of, um, you know, there is one uh, wazir called Ibn Shoy, he is the chief wazir and then there is Another wazir, Al-Muin. There is a second wazir. There are many wazirs. But Ibn Shoy is a good wazir. Whereas uh, Al-Muin is uh, like many other wazirs. He is one of those who flatters the king and you know gets his things done. So this is the background of the story. Both have one one son. But um, Al-Muin's son is a completely... You know one of some of those children who feed on their father's... Uh, prestige and money and believe that they can do anything and get away with it. Contrast to him is the hero of the story, Nuruddin, who is son of the good wazir Ibn Shoy, a flirtatious boy who is completely, in a, in a certain sense, wild. <laughs> he doesn't care about life, about people, about society, uh, quite disrespectful that way, but he is good at heart. So that's what is the beauty of Shurbindo's portrayal of these characters. There is a very interesting line in this play where um, they are troubled by Nuruddin because he's all the time playing pranks. So once his mother says, you don't worry, you know, when we are gone, I worry about you. When we are gone, what is going to happen to you? Who will look after you? So this cheek of a boy replies, well, then life will begin. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll go around the world. I'll go here, there. I'll have this adventure, that adventure. So that kind of boy. But, you know, into like that age and the setting is ancient Baghdad when there are slave girls and, you know, women are sold. But Shubindo brings it out in a very different way. So, as the setting goes, um, the king of Basora, he wants to buy a slave girl and Ibn Soi and the other um, bad wajir al-Muin both have gone to pick up a slave girl. Now, Ibn Soi has to pick up a slave girl for the king. And Al-Muin wants a slave girl for his son, the, the bad son. <laughs> so they both go to the market, but Ibn Soya has already bid and he has bought the slave girl. When this fellow comes, he is like, Rob Dar, no, I am the wazir, you better give it to me. So then Ibn Soya says, you don't know, this slave girl is not for, you know, it's been got for the king. So don't uh, meddle with it. So he is very annoyed, but he says, okay, fine. So there is a kind of rivalry and conflict between the two because one is a very good minister and he, he is very helpful and he is loyal to the king. The other one is basically he is after his own personal interest but the king listens to him because he is such a flatterer. So people come and complain to this good wazir that please do something about Almuin. He is not a good wazir at all. He says I know but you don't realize. See look at the human nature how Shabindo understands. He says if you go and complain to the king because they want to complain to the king. He says he will pick up the good qualities of him. He does have some good qualities. What a beautiful assessment. He says he does have some good qualities and that's what the king needs. Plus he is a flatterer. So if you go and talk against him, what will happen is the king will listen but hold that you have a grudge against him. Nothing else. I mean... <laughs> this is so true about human nature. So, uh, most of them, so they, Ibn Soi says, it's no point trying all these things. And meanwhile, he brings the slave girl and the king is away, so he, he has to stay in his own house for two, three days. 
Now the action begins because in his house there is this wild boy called Nuruddin, <laughs> the reckless young boy, and you know he is he has a way with girls and quite flirtatious. And then Ibn Shoi brings the girl, slave girl and gives a room to her and tells his mother, the his wife and his daughter, see that he doesn't come near this girl. Because I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> He's a young boy. This is meant for the king. What will happen? I don't know. So he also posts a eunuch outside. You know, eunuchs so that, uh, you know, eunuchs were supposed to do this kind of service to the king and the minister. So with a nice sword that he says, uh, make sure that even if it's my boy who tries to enter, threaten him and make him away. And then the drama unfolds to cut the story short and uh, Nuruddin does arrive. And his sister is after all sister, Dunya. She says, you know, there is a gift for you. <laughs> it's very beautiful. So he says, what? What kind of gift? He says, no, I won't disclose to you. She no, no, you must tell me. Oh, well, it's on the upper floor, but I'm not supposed to tell you. So she actually starts fanning his <laughs> desires till he finally finds his way. And then she says, no, no, don't try to go. There is a eunuch guarding the door with a, you know, sword of steel. He says, that, don't worry, I know my way. So he goes, uh, manages to enter the room. And as the story goes that, uh, now this girl, uh, Alice, she doesn't know actually. Um, she's a slave girl. Adim Nusoy has bought her, but bought her for the king. Uh, so they fall in love. And then the story starts unfolding. So now when Ibn Nusoy comes back, he has, comes back after two days and he realizes that my son has <laughs> done the <laughs> thing which was never supposed to be done. So he gets very angry and he says, you know, uh, the husband and wife fight, have a little fight because of you and because of you. And <laughs> then he says, don't worry, I'm a very responsible person. I look after her. Like, and he says, it's not about looking after. She's meant for the king. And you know, realize what you have done. Meanwhile, the, the other wazir comes to know of this. He says, now is a good time to trap this minister. And while he sends Ibn Soyi to some errand, he starts finding, you know, all kinds of debt because Nuruddin is a fellow. He goes and, you know, gets his dress made in the name of his father. Then he gets some nice sandals made in the name of his father. Now this girl has come, Ali, so he gets a lot of costly dresses and everything in the name of the father. And, and then there are debtors, you know, who, who come during this period and ask him for money because uh, Almuin has sent them. And there is no money. He's a broke so they ask that, give this slave girl. He says, no, this girl I won't give because he has fallen in love with her. He says, uh, this is not uh, some, somebody's private property and I'm not going to sell her. So that's where his beautiful side comes. And then he's asked, advised by everybody, you run away from here. Because if you stay here, Almuin will f find you out and you'll be hanged, executed. So then they make their way to Baghdad. Now there is a lot of humor there. As they land up in a Baghdad, they say ki, they see a beautiful garden, which is garden of the Caliph, Harun. He is a good Caliph. So they, he says, you know what, we'll stay here. <laughs> but how can they stay here? They are paupers. So they manage to catch hold of this man called Ibrahim. He is the, um, supposed to keep the garden. And then a beautiful story unfolds. They know he is a drunkard. So they start telling him, you know, you're such a nice person. And he looks at Elise. She's such a beautiful girl. She says, oh, you're an angel. You ask me something and I'll give you. So they play upon his human nature. And he says, no, no, no. Allah forbid me. I'm not supposed to look at a girl like that. And then again he looks and says, but you know what to do? You're an angel who has come. And all the time Shivinda describes the subtle shades in human nature, which say one thing, but there is something else behind. And then he finally manages by saying, actually this garden belongs to me. And um, all this uh, kind of lies and they drink and she says, you sing a song and she sings a song. And Tilly is completely drunk. And during that state, the Khalif Harun comes into the garden. Ah, this fellow is completely drunk. And Khalif comes and he doesn't say that I am a Khalif and he also doesn't recognize. So, uh, there is a little bit of... Uh, a dramatic uh, thing that goes on and he doesn't disclose that he's a caliph. He just asks them, what are you people doing? Who are you? Who has admitted you? So they say, this man is supposed to be the caliph of this place. He says, oh, achha, this is the caliph. Okay. And who are you? He says, I'm just a caretaker minister. He doesn't disclose who he is. And he, then he starts testing this boy. So he says that, uh, okay, 
you have stayed in this garden but actually you are not supposed to do it but tell me one thing will you give your girl to me then i'll let you go free he is no that i cannot do so he says no no you have to because this is baghdad and the rules of baghdad are rules of baghdad you can't intervene so now he doesn't know he says if i go back death will await me anyways and if i leave you here i am anyways going to die then he says okay i tell you i am like a father to her i'll keep her here he listens to the whole story and understands that what has gone wrong he says i'll hold her here and uh, i'll give you a letter you go and give it to the king in basora so he picks up a just a letter like that and writes a note to the king of basora and says you take it he says no no but i am not sure what you are going to do with uh, the girl i love so he says no no don't worry i promise by allah she is like my daughter she will stay here safe at the end he discloses that i am the i am harun al rashid i am the king of baghdad and you can be rest assured she will be in my palace like a daughter so this fellow goes there to give that letter gives it to the king through the minister al muin his father is still away now he, they are shocked because in that letter it is written that make nuruddin the king you are dismissed <laughs> because <laughs> he has realized what has happened he is shown as a really good smart guy intelligent guy and with a lot of good heart so he says in the letter it is written that make the bearer of this letter the king and you step down because this is the order of the king of baghdad now they are all shocked they are all people who are hand in gloves in evil so almuin says the bad minister he says but look where is the seal where is the stamp look he tear the paper and says where is the paper stone will the baghdad king ever write in such a paper so all this they are they finally convince the king that no we can't trust this paper let us execute this boy nuruddin because actually he is playing a prank they know that you know this is true but they want to feign innocence and hang him so they are going to hang him so there is a very nice scene just then ibn shoi comes and he realizes what all has happened he can't see the paper but he tells his son that i know you have not done anything wrong in this matter but so be the will of allah so you go by that you know because god knows what is best for us so he is about to be executed and as the drama unfolds by then the king in baghdad uh, one week has passed and uh, uh, alice is asking what has happened why there is no message from him he says he'll come he says no my heart is uh, paining there is something amiss one week some message should have come he has become the king how can he forget you so then he says okay maybe there is something amiss and he takes a 10000 army and reaches there and the moment they come to know they want to hurriedly execute nuruddin but by then the king comes and all goes well so nuruddin becomes the king now of basora and ali is the slave girl she becomes the queen so it's a very beautiful story and lots of splitting humor and laughter so toward the end harun he comes and uh, he gives his final comments harun al rashid fair children worthy of each other's love and beauty to the slave girl and uh, to this boy um nuruddin who has become the king now fair children worthy of each other's love and beauty till the sunderer comes who parts all wedded hands take your delights on earth and afterwards in heaven so this is the always we see in shubindo's theme that there is a joining together which eventually he doesn't believe he doesn't want that love should part ever and in one of his letters he he tells to dilip kumar roy he says that um love friendship affection they are indispensable notes in the perfection towards which we which we want to realize upon earth but we have seen that when they are based on the ego it leads to pain suffering and we don't want that to happen we want it to be based on something much deeper and truer the psychic and spiritual love so the moment he brings in the heaven part means it is a sanction of the divine and therefore they will be happy here and happy hereafter meanwhile remember that life is grave and earnest under its smiles that while you will enjoy life but don't forget that there is a deeper undercurrent running through life is grave and we too with a worry gaiety should walk its roads 
praying that if we stumble, because it's grave below, so the gaiety, be full of joy and mirth, but don't forget that there is an undercurrent. There are rugged stones, there are slippery paths. And we too with a worry gaiety should walk its roads, praying that if we stumble, the all-merciful may bear our footing up. So he says that we should always remember with humility that God is there. We may stumble because life is full of that, but he will lift us up. In his strong hand, showing the father's face. Now see the evolutionary part he brings in the deeper respect. Showing the father's face and not the stern and dreadful judge. Farewell, I go to Roman wars with you the peace. Now here again, he, he and a lot of things in this story are like that. That eventually God the judge has to be replaced by God the merciful, God the king who is full of love, who is always ready to extend the hand when we stumble. So God whom we fear should change into God who loves us and whom we love. So this is the, and um, as I said, please read it. It's, um, it's, you will laugh a lot. <laughs> as I said, I'll have to otherwise take out a lot of passages and give their, you know, context. But as you read through, especially when he goes to the palace, when he's in the initial few scenes, you will see as it builds up uh, Nuruddin's character. And then when he goes to the, to Baghdad, in the garden, there's a lot of laughter throughout the stories like that. Then we have another dramatic romance, Rodogni, and um, this is again, the setting is um, two brothers, Antioch and Timocles. So the story is about Cleopatra, who has, uh, who had married Nikonar, and then when Nikonar is dead, then she marries her, his brother. And um, through Nikonar, she has two children, twins. But uh, this second husband, who though his brother, doesn't want uh, them to take the throne. So he sends them away. They are, so these are, two twin, these are two brothers, twins, who part and go away to Egypt and they grow up like that. And then when her husband dies, then she calls them that now the road is clear, you come and you will be on the throne. Now the catch starts because out of the two, one can sit on the throne. And as per the custom, it is Antioch who should sit on the throne. So there are these two characters, Antiochus and Timocles. These are the two brothers. So according to the uh, law of the land, Antiochus is the elder. He should sit on the throne. But nobody knows this fact except Cleopatra and her mate. So she observes the two, their behavior. And whereas Antiochus is a very... Straight man, he is a very honest person. But Timocles, knowing that the throne may go to him, starts flattering his mother. And the mother thinks he is the right person to be on the throne. But she has to play a little bit of drama and she tells the maid that, you know, don't disclose to anyone that Antiochus uh, is, was born a little before Timocles. So nobody else knows because they are twins. But Somebody who has come a little before. So now the stage is all set that she will make Timocles sit on the throne. Meanwhile, there is a girl, Rodogni. She comes from another kingdom and both are in love with her. But she is in love with uh, Antiochus. Very faithful love. And Timocles comes to know. So now he starts plotting that I'll become the king somehow and I'll make sure that uh, Rodogni falls in love with me because I'm the king. And he tries all tricks, but Rodogni stands firm. He says, no, my love for him is final. Then, through a twist of turns of events, this is supposed to be a tragic play. But in the tragedy, there is concealed something else. So, in that... Um, no, the next play, meanwhile. So, in that, in that process, while... Um, toward the end... Timocles actually puts Antioch in the prison and gets him executed. And then when his uh, Rodogni comes to know, she runs, runs there and she sees him in blood, all lying there in pool of blood. This is a very touching uh, uh, place where, you know, she says that, um, you know, you are sleeping so quietly. Uh, I want to sleep with you. And then everybody says, don't disturb him. See, he is sleeping so quietly and there is the presence of death. So the whole story is so beautifully. And then Timocles comes, comes and he wants to take her away by force. 
but she is so much in love with him that he she also drops dead by the side of his body and then when this happens then we see something very interesting when both are now dead he has the kingdom but he has lost his twin and brother and he has lost his the girl whom he loved so here he says timocles in the end something has snapped in me the brother who has actually killed them and uh, is on the throne something has snapped in me physicians cannot bind thou prince nicanor art from the royal blood of syria sprung and in thy line seleucus may descend untainted from his source brother brother we did not dream that all would end like this so it's a tragic play where uh, even in the victory there is a defeat because a victory that is won in this way doesn't bring joy so he says when in the dawn or or set we roamed at will playing together in egyptian gardens because they were abandoned from their kingdom and they grew up playing with each other or in the orchards of great ptolemy walked with our arms around each other's necks twin hearted but now unto eternity we are divided i must live forever now look at this line i must live forever unfriended solitary in the shades but thou and she will lie at ease in armed deep in the quiet happy asphodel so he says what is strange fate is this that i am living here but unfriended alone solitary i have lost my brother and lost the one whom i loved and is this fate better or your fate where you are with the person whom you loved and both of you will lie in armed at ease in armed in armed is arm in arm deep in the quiet happy asphodel and hear the murmur of elysian winds while i walk lonely so there is a, a strange mix of tragedy and a deep poignant touch of fate here that the man who wins is the man who loses and he though he lives and has the throne to him but here the thing is that love and uh, that nobility that is far more valuable friendship is far more valuable actually he couldn't have captured his brother his brother actually believed him trusted him and he wanted to give him the throne so he came with this idea that i'll give him the throne there is a lot of action in between where he goes into the mark mountains there is almost a kind of armed revolt but then he says that no this is not the path i want to choose so he goes and lays down the arm and when he lays down the arm that's when his twin brother puts him in the prison and eventually executes him so here it is about like fate is not just about what we are left with but fate is also about the deed we had done and how it you know knocks at our heart with pain and or joy throughout life so this the story of this uh, wonderful drama and then we have the most famous perseus the deliverer it's based on another greek legend so there is this argive king arcesius and he has heard a prophecy that um, his uh, son is going to his daughter's son is going to kill him so he says okay so he like kansa story very symbolic he puts his daughter in a tower where he locks her up says okay my daughter is locked she is not married she can't have a child so i am safe but destiny has its way so seus plans the great act seus is indra of our mythology ancient myth not the puranic indra but the ancient vedic indra also there are things about the thunder so seus goes and enters the room he can enter so seus has begotten some children like alexander the great was one of the children of seus and this is another child which is like similar in mahabharata you have the mantri invocation and the sun god comes and you have kunti has children so seus enters and through this princess dana he has a child and then the doors open and both of them escape in a boat favored by the gods because this is the will of god they end up in a, another kingdom where the king is very nice protects now this child who is protected is perseus so perseus and his mother live in that kingdom under the patronage of the king till perseus grows up now uh, 
he wants to marry that king wants to marry dana but dana doesn't want to marry she is happy that she has got a child through a god so this doesn't want to marry but then he also knows she also gives this excuse till persius grows up and then you know i'll see all kinds of excuses so this king wants to send persius when he grows of age um into an impossible mission from which he is going to never return and then he will marry dana that's his planning so he tells him that you know i have looked after you and your mother in times of need will you do a job for me he says okay tell me whatever job you want can you get uh, gorgon medusa's head for me now gorgon medusa is a demoness okay she has uh, hairs all serpent goddess so all the serpents are in her hairs ah uh, there was medusa t-shirt i saw the day please don't buy all these things huh? it's she's a hostile demoness and medusa is all serpents on the head and the problem is if she sees extremely beautiful and charming at one place in savitri in subtle physical world shubhendra says and lends its beauty to the demon and the snake so all that is outwardly charming is not necessarily you know inwardly one should be careful with the warning finger so he she looks at a person and he freezes he becomes stone basically it means that she completely captures he becomes inert after that it is her will that she does with that person so how you are going to kill her in a combat because the moment you go to kill her she is full of all these snakes who caution her and you will see her and when you see her she will freeze you so but persius is supported by goddess athene in fact the play starts with a dialogue between poseidon the god of the sea and athene so that time in syria they used to worship poseidon poseidon is a god like our um, something like rudra who governs the ocean and all its waves so during that time the cult used to be that you have to worship poseidon by doing narbali and if anybody refuses worshiping him he has to be sacrificed so that was a very barbaric kind of you know the temple was full of blood which was offered regularly to this god otherwise he will there will be shipwrecks and people will die so this kind of tale like ancient you know those uh, turbulent gods so athene um, comes to tell him your time is over you recede you monster so he says no 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 i will not recede and he jumps down into the sea and athene goes back to the heaven saying that your time has come and you are going to recede now who is athene athene is uh, maheshwari that's how shubhendra says um, here in india maheshwari there in greece palace athene so she is maheshwari she is the goddess of wisdom so persius is her chosen vibhuti so she gives to persius a breastplate shield then a winged horse uchchayshrava who can fly into heavens uh, shubhendra speaks of the sandal herpes sandal and a sword which can slay and a cap of invisibility so all this she basically helps him to go through this uh, on his errand which is to kill medusa so he goes and there is a very dramatic movement very finally uh, this, there was a film also made on this no which was very interesting but they made the film very slip shot so he finally slays medusa and carries her head now this head will become very important because when he has to fight against the sea god so he is coming in the ship there is a shipwreck and he survives and eventually he sees that on the shore there is andromeda and her mother and the king were tied why they are tied because they have dared to speak against this kind of sacrifice that you know andromeda says no i don't accept this uh, human sacrifice and you catch people and uh, this not acceptable and because he has done this the priest polydion who is a dark priest he says okay then you are condemned and condemns her uh, to be tied at the stake where the sea god will come and swallow her so like a giant wave will come and swallow her and she'll die this used to be the ritual but then perseus lands up and sees her frees her and then says no no the sea god that monster will come and you know kill me he says i have a cure for that monster and when the monster comes all that he has to do is to take out 
Medusa's head and show it to the monster and he freezes. So basically, and then he, the head is of no more use to him. So that's how the uh, monster ends. And then Perseus becomes um, the uh, main king. He's, he's the hero. And Perseus and Andromeda, of course, uh, they fall in love and they see each other. And toward the end, then Perseus says that the time has come to change the gods. The gods also evolve. So that's where we see the story ends with... <laughs> sorry. So the gods also evolve. This is something very interesting and fascinating. We see this in Indian mythology. So if you look at the Indra of um, Vedic cage and the Indra in Puranas with the coming of Krishna, you see that Indra goes down the ladder and in his place Hari is there. And it is there in the story of Bhagavat itself that um, Indra is very angry when... Um, you know when his puja is not done and Sri Krishna tells them that no no you do Govardhan puja why because Govardhan is the one who gives you why do you want to pray to Indra who threatens you so again we see the same thing they are praying to Indra because he is a thunderer he will give so much rain you will drown so Sri Krishna comes and again teaches them that to pray and worship God uh, out of fear is not the real thing you must worship God out of love where there is love and look here, Govardhan is doing so much to you and you don't feel love for Govardhan. And then the, you know, his, all his friends, Gwalbal, they say, but Indra will come and he will shout and thunder and rain. He says, doesn't matter, we'll manage that. <laughs> so, of course, the famous fable where he picks up the Govardhan on his little finger and Indra comes. So, Indra is raining heavily. Then he says, what is supporting these, um, these people? By now, they should have drowned. But nothing is happening. They are cooking meal under that uh, mountain. They are having a gala time. So he comes down. When he looks at Sri Krishna, he realizes that he is Narayana himself. And he does Naman and he says, this is not the way that people should worship. So from that time onward, the whole thing changes. So we see that again, there is a change from a God who brings fear into a God who is more loving, who is wise, who is compassionate. So everywhere we see Shurabindo revealing that there should be a leap in human consciousness even with regard to gods. And this where we see the story end. Again the last bit. Perseus. Uh, Andromeda says that I want the shrine to be changed. This shrine of Poseidon. Too much of blood and all these gory things. So the father says, well, because of you, Perseus has come and uh, done all these wonderful deeds. So we will listen to you. But what do you say, Perseus? Whatever you say, we will listen. So Perseus says, then let the shrine that looked out from earth's breast into the sunlight be cleansed of its red memory of blood. And the dread form that lived within its precincts transfigure into a bright, compassionate God. See, this is a problem that even today we see in certain religions. Where killing, you have to kill the ego. Not an innocent or anybody outside in the name of God. Because if truly is compassionate, this is not a deed that he would want. But religions which refuse to evolve, they crumple down. Because that is where the whole crux of the uh, matter lies. And the dread form that lived within its precincts transfigure into a bright compassionate God whose strength shall aid men tossed upon the seas give succor to the shipwrecked mariner. So he says that Poseidon was saving them at what cost? Offer me human sacrifice and I'll save. But this God because the God is compassionate and wise will save. He doesn't require your sacrifice. A noble center of a people's worship to Zeus and great Athene Build a temple between your sky-topped hills and oceans vast. Her might shall guard your lives and save your land. In your human image of her deity, a light of reason and calm celestial force and a wise, tranquil government of life. So, ethne is wisdom. So, he says, instead of governing your life with blind instincts and a vital will to destroy brute force, might bring in the reign of what, what it means, the reign of Ethni? The calm, wise reason, a tranquil mind is the guide of human days. 
order and beauty and harmonious thoughts description of maheshwari order and beauty and harmonious thoughts and ruling the waves of impulse the ocean represents that high throned will incorporate in marble the carved and white ideal of a young uplifted race a will that commands the vital impulses and its you know instincts not living by instincts alone so this is the evolutionary journey of man from the animal type to a more humanized rationals for these are her gifts to those who worship her adore and what you adore attempt to be this one line is so powerful so he is asked by the king will the fiercer grandeur that was here permit will poseidon say okay <laughs> i mean he is still afraid a lot of people are afraid like that no oh, we are turning towards what about even in this thought primitive thought oh i used to do prayer to this uh, the shani devata or this devi now if i mansa devi is like that no the, she will cure you of serpent and they were kind of sunny day vakra trishti so now they feel if i worship another god who is a <laughs> will he not get annoyed <laughs> or will she not get annoyed and you know finish me he says no because the greater god will protect you at some point you have to come out of the clutch so that's why the upanishad say that man is a cattle of the gods and upanishads tell you to cut through the entire process of gods and that's what the mother also reminds us so upanishads say that don't go through the gods because you will get caught into this evolutionary ladder zigzag of the gods instead find the supreme within and the rest is taken care of and that's what the mother says up till now there was the overmind creation which is the creation of the gods and there are good gods benevolent gods fierce god this is a god for everything the tempest the storm everything this is a god meaning thereby an aspect of the divine which controls that but ascending through that whole process man has to discover that he is basically divine and he doesn't need this zigzag but if at all a god has to be worshiped let it be a high and wise and tranquil god so persia says fear not poseidon the strong god is free he has withdrawn from his own darkness and is now his new great self at an olympian height that aspect where death is transformed in savitri that he is a fallen angel in the rig vedas there is this talk about purva deva so he is a god he is fallen and given this task so in shiv puran we have the rudra who has been actually in a way punished condemned and that's how he ends up upon earth and in the patal lok where he becomes the guardian deity one of them also bhairav that, that way you know you have who goes into the patal but when he recovers his own lost divinity then he discovers that this not what is my work i am born from there and he has gone back to the olympian height and then the queen asks how can the immortal gods and nature change perseus all alters in a world that is the same and that's why even though we say that you know nothing changes yet things change and when we say that things are always changing it means there is hope so it is changing in a forward movement man most must change who is a soul of time his gods to change and live in larger light and that's why many people have this conflict that i used to worship this god now shurbindu and the mother it's an evolutionary process it's not that there is some chamatkar which is being done therefore you are going from this god to that god but your heart itself will say that i want a larger light a more complete synthesis and if you feel that urge you have every right to evolve because this is the line that god himself has curved that god has drawn for man but um, if you are afraid of it then you miss that point so again the king asks then man to me arise to greater heights his being draw nearer to the gods and perseus says perhaps but the blind nether forces still have power and the ascent is slow and long is time yet shall truth grow and harmony increase the day shall come when men feel close and one meanwhile one forward step is something gained since little by little earth must open to heaven till a dim soul awakes into the light so this was the play on which shubindu worked the most and we can see that how close it is to shubindu's um, basic thought of transformation then there is another um, eric 
its uh, setting is Norway and the gods are Norse gods. So some people who are conversant with Norse god would know this very <laughs> tremendous gods. <laughs> Odin. Odin is wisdom but also a lot of power. Huh? Thor. Thor you must have seen these comics. The Marvel comics also brings out something on Thor. So Thor is the god with a hammer in hand. Brute force. So the main character here, Eric. So he is um, the one who five years of long battle and finally ascends to the throne of Norway at that point of time. But he is a rival competitor in Sven and he is coming from another kingdom. And he along with his uh, wife and daughter, uh, daughter is Aslok, they want to overthrow him. But as they come, Eric and Aslok fall in love. So the whole story goes in a very different direction. And when they fall in love, the beauty is Eric who is basically brute force, though he is the main protagonist. And he wins by that. He develops that third power which is necessary to man and that is love. So, again toward the end, Aslok sees uh, a woman of love. She says, but you know, I see a tyrant in you. She loves Eric and basically the two kingdoms which were opponents, they come together because you know, they are married. So, Eric says, so Aslok says, thou hast the tyrant in thy nature still. And so I love thee best. <laughs> For then I recognize my conqueror. Oh, what canst thou do but well? For in thy every act and word I see the gods compel thee. So this is a very different kind of a force which acts. is moved by an inspired force. She says, that's what I love. I don't want just a, you know, very uh, soft nature. So Eric says something very interesting. Oh, thou hast changed me with thy starry eyes. He says, I was not like this. You have changed me. Uh, so Aslog, actually your contribution is much more than what uh, you like about me, but I am a changed person now. Daughter of Olaf, and has made thee a man, made me a man. Where was but height and iron? All my roots of action, mercy, greatness, enterprise. Sit now transplanted to thy breast, O charm, O noble marvel. He says, I was a very strong fighter. Iron and uh, bright and iron. So there is wisdom in him at the same time strength. But he says, I was missing love. Now everything is transported to thy charm, to your charm. From thy bosom my strength comes out to me. Mighty indeed is love, thou sangst of Aslok. Once the golden hoop, mightier, swifter than the warrior's sword. So it is love which is the conqueror. Which is the victor. Dost thou remember what thou camest to do? A slog from Gothburg. And she says, oh that was 10 days back. The gods have spoken since and shown their hand. They seal our eyes and drive us. So she had come basically to, you know, with a plan to actually usurp the kingdom. So he says, God seal our eyes and drive us. But at last our souls remember when the act is done that it was fated. Aslok, now for us the world begins again. Earlier they were fighting with each other. So here again one can see the symbol of even Purusha and Prakriti. Where there is a tussle fight but suddenly they come together and become each other's complement. Our world, beloved, since once more we who since the stars were formed, playing the game of games by Odin's will, Odin is the god of wisdom and power, have met and parted, parted, meet again forever. So that's the story of uh, basically, um, though it is of course the evolutionary tale where love is missing, but it's also about Purusha and Prakriti, because what does Prakriti do to the Purusha? She fills his life with wonder and color and beauty and love. You really look at the dance of Prakriti, the many moods of Prakriti. That's what she does to the Purusha. And therefore, their coming together is a necessity for the fullness of creation. But they part and they come again. And then there is, of course, this uh, last one. Not the last. Yeah, last complete play. Vasavdatta. So, which is a dramatic romance. It's based on Katha Sarit Sagar and the story Swapna Vasavdatta. So, in the original story, there is this um, king or prince Vats Udayan. 
So there are these three kingdoms. There is Kaushambi, which is uh, ruled by the descendants of Arjuna and Parikshit. And there is Avanti, another powerful kingdom. And there is Magadh. But here the scene is Avanti and Kaushambi. So, uh, Jungandharan, the king of Kaushambi right now, whose son is Vatsudhyan, he has managed to keep these two kingdoms at bay. Otherwise, Avanti wants to take a fight and, you know, but because of this great noble general, uh, they are kept where they belong to and, you know, they are not allowed and they suffer reverses. So, this is the basic setting. And Vatsudhyan, one night, gets a dream, like Naladamanthi. So, he gets a dream of a very beautiful maiden and he falls in love. So he says, but who is she? But there is no indication in the dream that who is she, where she has come from. And in search of this uh, woman, he goes out into the forest. And in the original story, as he is in the forest sitting under a tree, there is a pair of lovebirds and they are talking to each other. They also know that Vasavdatta has seen a dream also. And they are in search of the man whom she has seen. And they meet each other. And in the original story, they go and uh, now they are opposing kingdoms. They are kingdoms who are at war. And they are coming together actually, eventually ends up in the union of the two kingdoms. Even in Eric's story, Eric, Eric wants to rule but not just as a king. He wants to unite the different kingdoms. So that thrust towards unity is all the time there in Shubindu's play. So here, slightly the story has been changed. And um, this young prince, Vatsudhyan, has a good friend, Gopalaka. And Gopalaka is from Avanti and he has come as a friend. But actually he is the son of the king of Avanti. And and, um, Vatsudhyan trusts him. So his mother cautions him also that, you know, he is a four-man's son. You are playing too much, you know, with him. He says, no, no, you must trust people. So he is like that, very casual fellow, but also very brave. So he trusts him, brings him into the chamber and all that happens. So one day Gopalka says, why don't we just go out and you know, uh, move around. And of course, this is the dream also. So Gopalka goes with him. But the plan of Gopalka is that when we go into the forest, he has already informed the king of Avantika that uh, you come with the army and I will capture him and bring to the kingdom. Now once he becomes a captive, then Kosambi has no choice but to give away the kingdom in ransom. So it's a very highly dramatized kidnap played by the king of a country. So he's, he doesn't know what's there. But he takes him there and finally at a point of time he tells all the guards to go away because what's there is like that. And the guards tell him that, are you sure you want to be in this forest alone? He says, What's can say what's like that. <laughs> so he says, I don't need anybody. So they go away. And then Gopalka has the trap ready. So suddenly when he is little sleepy, he is resting. He says, you rest, you know, I will take care of everything. And he goes, gets the army and he is captured and taken to the king. Now when he goes to the king, the king says that I will give you a, you know, I will punish you in this way. Uh, that you become a slave to my daughter. Who is his daughter? Vasavdatta. And he tells Vasavdatta, see, basically I want him to sign off the kingdom. And I don't need to tell you how you are going to manage it. So you manage with your ways. I trust your wisdom. And the daughter says, for me, father, you are ultimate. Whatever you do, I will do your will. And then he is a prisoner. And Vasavdatta has become like the mistress. And mistress means the princess. And he is a slave to her. Now just see this page if um, I can be helped to take to. Okay, this I think I can do. Oh. 679, the one which I want to read. It is very interesting because this is a very fascinating play. So I just want to read a little bit about now their meeting. So Gopalka takes, now just look at the way Shirvinda portrays, the subtle shades of human nature. She is to follow the father's bidding, treat him like a slave, make him feel like dirt. And then eventually, you know, he's a captive. He's a, and what's his a usual casual happy-go-lucky boy <laughs> who has a, his ways. So see, Gopalka says that, uh, sister, I'm 
bringing this fellow to you. Take him. He is your captive and slave. So Vasavdatta looking covertly at Vats. Now look at the fine sheets. He is not directly seeing him. And he says, and his father is told her, don't get into love with this boy. Huh? This I don't expect of you. You are a noble girl. You have to fulfill this. So she is like those vishkanyas, you know, planted by the father himself. She says, yes, yes, I am not, I know how to manage my heart. And he says, see, you be careful. Huh? It's a young girl's heart, so you have to be careful. But I trust my daughter. He says, yes, dad, you can trust me. I am the most bestest daughter in the whole world and you are the best father. All that she says. And then she looks at him and says, much love, dear brother, not that any prize I value as a worth for such as we, but thy love gives it price. So she looks at him and says, ah, it's a good price. But uh, its value is because you have brought him to me. Not, nothing otherwise. So then, after he is leaving, she glances at Vats again, and then avoiding his eyes, since he is my slave, they are already mine. And then she looks at again at Vat uh, Sudhyan uh, and says, He's a boy, a marvelous golden boy. I'm surely older. I can play with him. There's no fear, no difficulty at all. And then she turns to Vats and says, What is thy name? I'll hear it from thy lips. She's interviewing him. So he says, Vats. Vasavdatta, thou tremblest, Vats? Dost thou fear? So look at the what Vats says. You're afraid? You're trembling? Vats says, perhaps there is a fear in too much joy. <laughs> so <laughs> what a master I have got. He says, yes, I'm afraid because I'm so happy that if this is my fate, it has brought me to you. Vasavdatta is smiling. I did not hear. <laughs> she wants to hear the praise. <laughs> my brother loves thee well. Take comfort if thou serve me faithfully. Thou hast no cause for any grief at all. Thou art Kosambi's king. What says men call me so? Vasavdatta, and now my servant? What says that my heart repeats? <laughs> that men tell me, but he's already fallen in love. So Vasavdatta is smiling. I did not hear. <laughs> she wants to hear again. I did not hear. Kosambi's king, my slave? What canst thou do to please me? What's? Now see how he replies. Dost thou choose to know the songs that shake the tranquil gods or hear on earth the harps of heaven? Dost thou desire such lines and use of living truth as made earth's shadows pale? Or wilt thou have the infinite abysmal silences made vocal clothed with form? These things at birth, the kinnari, Vidyadhar and Gandharva around me crowding on Himalaya dumb gave to the silent God that lived in me before my outer mind held thought. All these I can make thine. I can sing for you, write a poetry because you know I am full of these things. Vasavdatta, okay, what's, I take all these, all thy life's ornaments that thou wearest for mine and am not satisfied. Look at the subtle undertone. He says, yes, I'll take all your ornaments. Now they are playing a game. So he says, but I am not satisfied. So what says, Dost thou desire the earth made thine by my victorious bow? Send me then forth to battle. Earth is thine. So she is, <laughs> she is again, Vasavdatta. I take the earth and am not satisfied. <laughs> See the way she in the poetry. What's, say then, what thing shall please thee in thy slave? What thou desirest from what's Vasavdatta? Do I know? Not less than all thou canst and all thou hast and all thou art, what says all is thine. Vasavdatta. I speak and hear and know not what I say, not what you mean. What's the deepest things are those thought ceases not. Our spirits live their hidden meaning out. Now Vasavdatta is troubled because her heart is moving with love. She says, I know not how we pass into this train. Such words are troubling to the mind and heart. Leave them. <laughs> so, <laughs> what says they have been spoken? <laughs> Look at the beauty of this. Vasavdatta, let them rest. What's my slave? 
who promisest me much, great things thou offerest, small things I'll demand. Leave, leave all this aside, I don't want to hear all this. From thee, yet hard. Since he is my prisoner, Manjulika and Amba, guard this boy. You are his jailers. When I need him, near me. Bring him to me. Go what's to thy room. Then what's falls at her feet, which he touches. What does thou do? It is not permitted to thee. What's not this? That's hard. Is it this very difficult that I won't fall at your feet? So she is totally. <laughs> he says, troubled. Thou art too bold a slave. What's? Let me be earth beneath thy tread at least. <laughs> Look at the romance taken to what height? Vasav Datta, oh, take him from me. I have enough of him. <laughs> so, you know, so all this goes on. And um, then, toward the end, shall we just come to one second? Just one page. Yeah. This continues in another this thing. Vasav Datta, you know. Then they come together and they fall in love with each other. So Vasavdatta bending down to caress his hair. If really and as my slave thou adorest nothing more, I will not bid. Because he is touching his, her feet. What's what more when this means all? But if Vasavdatta, but if thou art such, is not all thou hast mine, mine? Why dost thou what's keep from me, my own? And what says, take all, claim all. Then Vasavdatta remembers, no, no, it's for Kosambi. So she says, Kosambi first. What's it shall be thine, a jewel for thy feet. Vasavdatta, thy kingdom what's for my will to rule? It shall be thine, the garden of thy pomp. Vasavdatta, shall? Really? She is amazed. What's, is it not far? We must go there, my queen, thou to receive and I to give. Now, you see the beauty of this play. It ends up, obviously, they both run away. And... Um, now suddenly they realize this is a ulta. I mean, this is a, everything has come in reverse. Now instead of he being their captive, she has become his captive and gone there. And by then the army of um, uh, Kosambi has come, and Avanti also sends the army. The two meet and they decide that look, you know, it is meaningless. Ultimately, it's much better to allow them to be wedded, and Vasudatta becomes the queen of Kosambi. And instead of fight, they win by love. So this story is basically the three uh, poises that uh, we have between Purusha and Prakriti. It also gives a secret actually of a man-woman relationship. So men who try to dominate from day one, they never succeed. So this is, because this is the pattern Purusha and Prakriti follows. So what does Prakriti do? It plays with the Purusha and it is a slave. You see in Savitri these three poises are described. So it goes wherever Prakriti takes then after some time, she becomes a student and a witness. And when Prakriti is satisfied, then she yields all her powers to him. And then he becomes the ruler and the king. So this is the story of Vasavdatta. I think we will stop here and take up the stories maybe in, in the second part along with something else. Namaste. Please read the plays. They are a delight. 200 pages, so we can't because you have to, you know, <laughs> run through. But some of these plays have been enacted here and with some groups, not recorded, but I have read them fully. And it's amazing. Vazir Basora, Perseus the Deliverer and Vasavdatta. Really, there is, there is another one, last one, which I'll just speak um, broadly. The Prince of Edur. And uh, the Prince of Edur is based on the story of a real character called um, Raval uh, so Bappa Raval so the story of Bappa Raval is that is 7th century uh, 8th century Islam had started you know expanding itself so during that time Bappa Raval is the person who actually with the help of an army initially he was um, the Bhil tribes had uh, defeated him and he had hidden in the forest in that forest one of the princes Komal Kumari she has gone and hidden because she wants to marry somebody of her own choice. And the parents want that, no, no, we have chosen this king and this prince. She says, no, no, I will run into the forest. Whoever saves me in the forest will be my partner. 
and Bappa Rawal is hiding there. He comes to know that if I save the princess, I'll get a reward. So he actually saves the princess. Uh, and she says, no, but you are my now husband because this is what I had thought. And meanwhile, they are attacked by these armies and Bappa Rawal is a very brave one of the, he is a real character, real brave chieftain for two, three centuries. Uh, because of Bappa Rawal and his bravery, they were chivalry, they were a, people who could not, uh, the Mughals could not enter. They tried to enter several times, but because of chivalrous people, he's from the Rajput clan. So the setting is Rathor clan and Chittorgarh. So th- this is the setting of the uh, Rajasthan and the Rajput clan. And uh, then finally, he keeps them away and the two, Komal Kumari and um, this prince, Papa Rawal, they get married. So this place called Rawal Pindi in Pakistan is named after Bappa Rawal. So, <laughs> he was a real brave warrior and the story of a warrior and how he finds. So, all these stories are basically romance. Now, in the original story of Bappa Rawal, Komal Kumari is an insignificant character. But Shurbinto makes their love and romance the most significant part. He doesn't talk much about the Mughals and the fights here, but he talks about the love that grows between Bappa Rawal. Again, uh, a man who is basically with a warrior heart who has love born inside him. So in all the stories, we'll see that all of them are heroic people. But all of them, they miss the power of love. And without love, force is nothing but a brute force. So love comes to humanize, to uplift, to divinize, and transfigure human nature to heights which we cannot imagine. So this is, and all of them are in the setting of human love, symbolic, as well as it's equally applies on earthly life. Thank you.